0: To do the song that makes me cry right before I get up to preach But they will not be invited to plan easter service next year because now I got to get up and follow that That's great Uh, Second observation i'd like to make is I had a first this morning I have never wanted to give somebody a round of applause after they finished giving announcements before Anybody else think damon and shelly did awesome at giving announcements today? You guys are hired Holy cow Hey, I hope that you've noticed that today is a celebration here. Anybody realize that today is a celebration here? We are celebrating the greatest news in the history of the world. Jesus is not dead. He's alive. And all over the world, all over the world, churches celebrate today really well. And God loves that. God loves that. But let's take it a step further. God loves a good party all throughout the year. I mean, God loves a good party. In fact, if we go to the Old Testament, we can find that God loved parties so much that throughout the year, he commanded the nation of Israel to have parties all year long, seven major parties throughout the year. I love that. God wants his people to be a celebratory people. Now, these parties aren't something that we're commanded to do anymore, but they are parties that we can learn a lot from. My friend Ron Pennington sums it up pretty perfectly. Here's what he says. He says, let's be as excited about the resurrection on a Tuesday in October as we are this Sunday in April. And I think God wholeheartedly agrees with that. Starting next week, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a new seven-week sermon series, and what we're going to study is the feasts in the Old Testament that God commanded the people to participate in. And we, what I hope you find in this sermon series is two things. Two things. One, we more than anybody else in the history of the world have a reason to be joyful, because the God who loves us and created us has redeemed us. So we, more than anybody else, have a reason to be joyful. Here's the second thing I hope that you learn. There are all kinds of churches that can get you to heaven. We don't want to be that kind of church. We want to be a church that brings heaven here. We want to bring the hope and the joy of the resurrection to everybody we encounter. So starting next week, we're going to start a new sermon series called Party People. And I hope that you'll consider joining us for it. If you're a regular attender, come back for it. If, you, uh, if you're just here uh, for the first time today, please consider joining us as we start a new sermon series together. It's going to be a lot of fun. But today is the last sermon in our series called Journey to Change. This has been a 16-week sermon series through the Gospel of Mark. We have walked where Jesus has walked. We have heard what Jesus has said. We have seen What Jesus has done. And we've seen how Jesus has prepared his disciples for ministry. Today is the culmination of this series on discipleship. And as we start today, I want to introduce you to a fellow named Mookie Wilson. Mookie Wilson played for the New York Mets in the 80s, and in 1986, he was asked by the Village Voice. Mookie, when you're in a slump, when you're up at bat and you can't get a hit, how do you work yourself out of a slump? And here's what he said. When I'm in a slump, I comfort myself by saying, I believe in dinosaurs. Then somewhere, they must be believing in me. And if they believe in me, then I can believe in me too. Then I bust out of my slump. Pretty good, right? Some of you in here coach baseball and you're going, That's not going to help anybody do anything, ever. Some of you are going to leave here and think about that for the next three months. All right, full disclosure, that wasn't a real interview. It was a joke that was put out by the Village Voice. It was a satire piece. But why do I bring that up this morning? I mention it because for a lot of people, understanding why the resurrection of Jesus is something that matters, is something that we celebrate, is just as odd as Mookie Wilson saying, I believe in dinosaurs to get out of my slump just don't understand it it sounds a little weird so maybe that's you today maybe you're here today and we're talking about celebrating the resurrection of Jesus and you're privately sitting there wondering why I just don't get it it's a great question the rest of our time together today I'd like to give you the best answer that I can I'd like to tell you that the resurrection of Jesus is something that we celebrate for a thousand different reasons, but today I want to talk about three. The resurrection of Jesus answers three of life's biggest questions. And I don't know if you've asked yourself these questions before, but I have. The resurrection of Jesus answers Who am I? What am I here for? What happens when I die? So those are, the, uh, those are the headed outlines. By the way, if you're a guest with us today, uh, whenever you see words up here on the screen that are in yellow, that's your indication that they're uh, fill-in-the-blanks. And we do have a fill-in-the-blank sermon outline on the backside of your prayer request page, so you can go ahead and start filling those blanks in now. But as we begin to answer those three questions, we're going to start with a text. Mark chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Here's what we read. Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, went out and they purchased burial spices so that they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb and on the way there they were asking each other, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. And when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe, sitting on the right side. And the women were shocked. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell the disciples, including Peter that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee, you will see him there just as he told you before he died. And the women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anybody because they were too frightened. So first thing, uh, who, who are the people who get up very early in the morning on the first day of the week to, to go to the tomb? The women, yeah, Mary, Mary, and Salome. And these women, first of all, they get up and they go out late on Saturday night, and they buy the spices that they need to prepare Jesus' body to, uh, to decay gracefully, right? They want Jesus' body to, to be able to decay without being awful and smelly. So they want to prepare his body with burial spices. And then early on Sunday morning, they get up, and all these spices that they've purchased, they start, and they take them, and they start heading out towards the tomb. What happens when they get there? It's not exactly what they thought. They thought they had a whole bunch of problems, but instead they find an angel sitting there waiting for them. And the angel says, don't be afraid. You're looking for Jesus. He isn't here. He's risen. Now go tell Peter and the rest of the disciples. Let's stop here for just a second. If you were concerned about somebody believing your message in the first century world, you would not give it to a group of women. Now, now hold on. Hold on, I know I lost some of you, just let me get you back here. I'm not being misogynistic, okay? I'm not being misogynistic, but what I'm saying is, in the first century world, a woman was not considered a reliable witness. A woman could not testify in court. So if you are trying to convey the most important message in the history of the world, three women is not the most obvious choice in the first century world. And yet God sends his messenger, his angel, to deliver the greatest news in the history of the world to three women. So can I remind you of something this morning? Something that I hope that you find empowering. Christianity isn't a man thing. Christianity is a Christian thing. Christianity isn't for men, it's for Christians. So the first people that Jesus entrusted with the news of his resurrection was a group of women. Their job was to go and tell the disciples. And so my question to you is whether you're a man, a woman, or a child, is you know, you know the news. Who are you supposed to tell? Who are you supposed to tell? It's not a man or a woman thing. It's not a black or a white thing. It's not a red or a blue thing. It's not a country of origin thing. It's an I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God thing. And when we believe that, when we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, it doesn't matter if you're male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, because we are all one in Christ Jesus. Our identity is children of God. So who am I? question we ask ourselves sometimes who am I I know who I am I am a child of the creator of the heavens and the earth I am a child of the one who sits enthroned above all creation I am a child of the one who loves me enough to die for me I am a child of God that's who I am more than anything else I am a child of God back to the text. These women, they're on the way to the tomb, and they've got some problems on their mind. They've got some problems. Uh, Are we going to be able to get to the tomb? That's a legitimate problem. Now, it's not that they don't know the way. They know how to get there. They know how to get to the tomb, but when they get there, they're wondering, are these soldiers going to let me get to the tomb? I don't know if you knew this or not, but the death of Jesus was somewhat controversial right? There was, uh, there was a little bit of controversy surrounding the death of Jesus. And the religious leaders here, there's talk of a resurrection. We got to make sure that Jesus' disciples don't come in later and steal the body. So we're going to have some soldiers posted at the entrance to the tomb. And these Roman soldiers, they're going to take their job very seriously. Because you know what happens to them? If anything happens to the body of Jesus, they will be executed, Ryan put it this way. I think that's a pretty eloquent way of saying that. Yeah, they will be executed if anything happens to the body of Jesus. So, these women on the way to the tomb, are we going to be able to get to the tomb? Is a legitimate question. They've got a second question that's just as important. If we do get to the tomb, are we going to be able to get in? Let's talk about burial stone technology and the way that the burial stone industry has innovated over the last couple hundred years in first century Jerusalem, okay? Uh, They have had to do some major innovating. Technology has really been on the rise for a couple of different reasons. One, grave robbing was really prominent. Somebody dies, um, there's a lot of uh, expensive spices that go in to a person's grave to to help with the smell of decay. Uh, People are dressed in their finest clothes, Grave robbers are saying, well, they're not alive anymore. They're not going to mind. I'll just go in and take that. And so these burial stones become massive. They are huge objects. And not only are they very large objects, they are uh, put in somewhat of a valley. So the stone is rolled down into this small valley and it seals the tomb. Another problem that they had at the time was uh, pirate burials. People who didn't have a lot of money and say, well, burial is expensive, burial plots are expensive, uh, we'll just borrow this one. After all, they're dead, they're not going to mind. And so they'd either just put their relative in there with another person, or throw the other person's body out, all of a sudden they've got a grave plot. Do you understand why, uh, why tombstone uh, technology has had to innovate? These are incredibly heavy stones that are rolled into a valley. So no matter how you try to push it out, you're rolling an incredibly heavy stone uphill. And so these women are wondering, how are we going to get to Jesus' body? Who's going to roll the stone away for us? These are problems, but can I submit to you that these women had closed tomb problems in an empty tomb world. These problems had not encountered the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. They had closed tomb problems in an empty tomb world. And some of you here today have pain and sorrow and grief, and it is deep, and I don't want to minimize that. I don't want to discount that. Some of you are here today, and you're carrying a financial burden that hasn't been manageable in years. Some of you are here today, and in a room full of people, you feel lonely. Some of you are worried about a child. Some of you... Some of you, you and your spouse have been trying for years to have a child and it just isn't working. Some of you are going, What spouse? My marriage is crumbling. My marriage is falling apart. Some of you have words playing in your mind on repeat. Your position's no longer necessary. We're going to have to let you go. We found a tumor, cancer, malignant, hospice, dementia, Alzheimer's. Some of you are here today and you have real pain. And we spend our days dealing with real pain. When we live like that, dealing with real pain, it's easy to wonder, why am I here? Why am I here? When every day is harder than the last and there doesn't seem to be any hope and improvement, why am I here? Can I just tell you that the resurrection of Jesus offers us an answer to why am I here So as we begin to answer that, I want to start with a principle. We can endure pain if we have a purpose. We can endure pain if we have a purpose. Here's what I mean. Navy SEALs have tough training. Uh, The first step in becoming a Navy SEAL is called BUDS, or Basic Underwater Demolition School. Notoriously tough. You've probably seen it on the Discovery Channel. they got a 75% dropout rate. All the Marines in the room are unimpressed. It means that that three out of four of the people that apply to become Navy SEALs fail. Three out of the four of the highly motivated, highly intelligent, physically fit people that set out to be Navy SEALs fail. It also means that one out of four succeed. One out of four pass this incredibly grueling, demanding training to become Navy SEALs. Why? Because they have a purpose. Their purpose is to become Navy SEALs. If that wasn't a goal that they were striving towards, nobody would endure what they have to endure during that training. Nobody would do it. But since they have a goal, they've learned something. If I have a purpose, I can endure pain. Now, uh, full disclosure, I'm just going to tell you guys this morning, I'm just going to be perfectly transparent and honest, I'm not a Navy SEAL. guess I didn't need to explain that. Apparently I already understood but uh, I, I, let me give this an example that hits a little closer to home. I'm not going to stand in front of an angry dog. I think that's a stupid idea, right? I'm not going to stand in front of an angry dog. He's obviously hostile. He's obviously aggressive. I'm not going to do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just walk around, walk away, get inside, right? I'm not going to stand in front of an angry dog unless my family's behind me and I need to give them time to get somewhere else, right? I'm not going to endure pain unless there's a purpose, unless there's a purpose. The resurrection of Jesus gives us a purpose. So if you've been with us through the gospel of Mark, you're going to remember some of the things that Jesus has said. Here's a purpose statement. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Here's another one. You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. It's not that way among you. It's going to be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's a purpose statement. Let me give you the most clear example of a purpose statement in the Gospel of Mark. A lawyer asked Jesus once, what's the most important commandment? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. He's the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. The resurrection of Jesus gives us a purpose. We are here to love God with everything we've got and to love the people around us. (coughs) And our purpose, our purpose wasn't given by just anybody. Our purpose wasn't given by somebody who was wise in the eyes of the world. Our purpose wasn't given by a good man, a moral man. Our purpose was given directly by God, and he proved his credentials by dying and resurrecting three days later. So if you weren't interested in what Jesus had to say in Mark 10, try hearing it again now that we know Mark 16. And you know, I think this idea that we can endure pain if we have a purpose was understood perfectly clearly by the Apostle Paul. If we look at his life, he, he proved that over and over again. He understood that if you have a purpose, you can endure pain. And he understood his purpose was given by God. So all throughout his life, he was beaten, he was whipped, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, bitten by snakes. I always loved that one. Imprisoned, persecuted, and at every turn, Paul remained faithful. And people would say, Paul will kill you, and he'd just smile and say, to die is gain. Well, we'll let you live. To live is Christ. Fine, we'll throw you in prison. Hey, somebody give me a hymn book. I'm about to convert the guards. Right? So all throughout his life, Paul understood that because he had a purpose, he could endure pain. and Because he could do that, he was able to say this. It's a Bible verse that you've probably heard before in Philippians chapter four. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Why? Because I have a purpose given to me by God. Paul knew that he was living with God's purpose and Paul knew that Christ, the one who resurrected from the dead, was the one giving him strength. Some of you have pain and sorrow today and deep grief. I don't want to minimize that. It's real pain. In fact, some of you resonate more with the Jesus that we see in Mark 14 than the one we're celebrating today. Here's what Jesus says in Mark 14. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Some of you resonate more with that Jesus than the one we're celebrating today. Some of you are going, that makes sense. If that's you, I just want to invite you to see how the story ends. His grief didn't disappear. In fact, all of the things that Jesus feared, all of the things that caused him intense worry and sorrow came to pass. Every brutal detail. His grief didn't disappear, but his grief didn't end his story. See, Jesus' the story doesn't end in death, it ends in life. His pain wasn't the end of the story. And if we believe that our purpose comes from Christ, our grief isn't the end of our story either. So, why am I here? To love God with all I've got and to love my neighbor as myself. I got one more question for you What happens when I die? What happens when I die? back to the text. On the way, on the way to the tomb, they were asking each other, who's going to roll away the stone for us? The stone's really large. They arrived, they looked up, and they saw the stone had already been rolled aside. And when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in white, sitting on the right side. And the women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. So the women arrive at the tomb. Angels say, you're looking for Jesus. He's not here. He's not here. He's not here. Listen, church, if our hope is in Christ, when we die, the same can be said of us. He isn't here. She isn't here. Jesus wasn't in a tomb that returns man to dust. He was in a tomb that returns man to life. So I don't know if you ever think about your funeral. <laughs> Maybe that's weird. Maybe I just do it because I probably go to more funerals than most people do, but I have two definitive things that I want to have happen at my funeral one day, okay? So here's the first one. This is really, really important. I want a New Orleans-style jazz band to play when the saints go marching in, okay? Okay? I'm being serious about this, all right? If any of you ever find yourself in a position to have bearing on what happens in my funeral, make sure you write that down. That is a non negotiable. When the saints go marching, I want trumpets, trombones, saxophones, the whole thing, all right? Here's the second thing whoever conducts my funeral, I want them to say, He isn't here. He isn't here. Sure, his body is dead, but the thing that made Tony, Tony, is not here. He is alive with Christ forever. He isn't here. So one day your heart's going to stop beating. One day your lungs are going to stop producing breath. One day your brain will stop firing synapses. And by every mortal metric, you will be declared dead. But if you have been buried with Christ in baptism, you will live. So what happens when I die? I live with my God who loves me. That's what happens when I die. I want to close with this. Many of us are here today and we're dealing with pain. And I've got to be honest with you. Becoming a Christian or being a Christian doesn't magically erase your pain. You came here with pain, you're going to leave with pain. This isn't like Cinderella, right? There's no bippity-boppity-boop and your pumpkin's a chariot, okay? You came with pain, you leave with pain. Can I remind you? Can I remind you that after the resurrection, Jesus still had holes in his hands? After the resurrection, he appeared to the disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. And later Thomas said, I'm not gonna believe that Jesus is alive unless I see the holes in his hand and the holes in his side. Well, what happened? Jesus said, take a look, Thomas. There's holes. After the resurrection, Jesus still had holes in his hand and a hole in his side. Jesus still had wounds. When you leave here, you will still have wounds. I'm not going to lie to you and say anything else, but I know from my own life that if we expose our pain to the resurrected Jesus, that pain begins to heal. Jesus had holes in his hands, but in time, holes turn to scars. Holes turn to scars, and I love what Shane Wood has to say about scars. He says, Scars are a visible celebration of, of our healing scars are a visible celebration of our healing listen church you know I've got scars uh, you know that about me you know that for a long time before I turned to Jesus I struggled with a drinking problem and there are a thousand things I wish I'd never done a thousand times I hurt my parents and the people who love me most and for years those were holes those were holes right here but in time And by his grace, God has turned them into scars. They are a visible celebration of the healing that he has done in my life. And today I'm better able to minister to those who have substance abuse problems and struggle with self-worth issues. By the way, if that's you, if you have some sort of a substance abuse problem you're struggling with, I think you should come to celebrate recovery. Wednesday night at seven o'clock, we meet down in the gym. There's dinner, you should come. Start your healing process. Let God turn your holes into scars. And I'm grateful for the work that God has done in my life, for turning my holes into scars. Now, don't, un- don't misunderstand me. This is important. I'm never going to celebrate my sin. I will never, ever, ever celebrate my sin, but until the day I die, I will celebrate the God who rescued me from my sin. You see the difference there? I want to tell you about another couple who has some scars. It's my Uncle Tim and my Aunt Sharon. On October 2, 2008, they said goodbye to their 20-year-old daughter who was killed in a drunk driving accident. She was at a party with her boyfriend, and I don't know how much he had to drink, but it was enough that he shouldn't have been driving. It was enough that he didn't see the two-way stop and recognize that cross-traffic didn't stop. And my cousin, Melissa, was ejected from the car. I didn't see her in the emergency room. But I know that the doctors picked the rocks from her road rash body over the smell of gasoline. And I know that she never woke up again. Her boyfriend was sentenced to prison. My Uncle Tim and my Aunt Sharon Like the Jesus we meet in Mark 14, were crushed with grief to the point of death. But then the hope of the resurrection got a hold of them. The hope of the resurrection got a hold of their pain and they began to visit this young man in prison. And over the course of years, they began to share the love of God with them. And over the course of years, they got to the point where they could say something so significant, so powerful. They got to the point where they could say, I forgive you. And when that young man got out of prison, the very first thing that happened is he went to the church. And my Uncle Tim and my Aunt Sharon baptized him into Christ for the forgiveness of his sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. There was plenty of pain to go around. But the hope of the resurrection was stronger than all of it. Because of the hope of the resurrection, my aunt and uncle, they knew who they were. They know who they are. They are children of God. They know that they have a purpose to love God deeply and to love the people around them and they know what death means. Life in Christ. That's why we celebrate the resurrection today because it gives us a hope far greater than any life can offer. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for our hope. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you for Jesus. He is risen and we are grateful. We pray this all in his name. Amen.